You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com slash surfing or at surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 18 of the Surf Simply podcast. We're recording on Wednesday, the 12th of August, 2015. My name's Harry Knight, and with me today is Rue Hill. Hello, everybody. And special guest star, Sam Wackerly. Hello, everybody. Sam is uh, a friend of ours from old who uh, normally lives out in Abu Dhabi, but we've coaxed him over to Costa Rica. It's a pleasure to be here. I actually listen to the podcast every time I drive home from the wave pool, so uh, I'm really looking forward to when I get to hear my own voice on the way home. <laughs> that sounds a little bit... That's going to be a little bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, how, have, uh, how have your guys' weeks been? We, we, me and Sam have been surfing a, a little reef down the coast, which has been really good fun a few times in the last few weeks. And actually, Sam, we're recording a little late this afternoon because Sam's been surfing this uh, left-hand slab just near here all afternoon, and you're looking pretty red in the face, Sam. Yes, yes. It, it, uh, surfing in the middle of the day uh, at this time of year is a, is a little bit of a frying experience, and, uh, but I think my, my nerves are more frayed than my face, <laughs> but it's a, it's a reflection of uh, the size of the waves out there. So you borrowed my 6-6 step up, which doesn't often see the light of day. Yes, I don't think I've surfed a 6-6 uh, since I was travelling around Australia. So uh, it, it felt large, but um, I enjoyed every inch of that surfboard out there today. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really nice having you here for the last couple of weeks, helping us out at the resort. And it's been really good. How's, uh, how's your stay been? Uh, it's been? It's been absolutely fantastic. This is, I think this is my fourth summer return to yeah, Costa Rica. Yeah. So for our listeners, Sam used to be a coach at Surf Simile and sort of comes back to do a cameo for a couple of weeks every summer. Wow. How's, uh, you've been out the water with a bit of a sore back, Rick. But um, Yeah, I've, I've had a bit of a bad back. I don't take as good a care of myself as I should have. And, and actually, it kind of prompted me to do a, a bit of research on, um, you know, keeping your back together and, and generally staying fit when you're out of the water, yeah. uh, which I thought we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. But it was actually what was, you know, what was kind of cool while I was looking at all of the scientific research, I came across another really interesting study. It was about how scientists have been using iPhones to diagnose people with depression, which is really interesting. Okay. This is like tenuously linked to our conversations before about GPS tracking and all that kind of thing. Right? <laughs> well, you'd, you'd, I'm really crowbar in there. I just thought this was so interesting. So basically what they did was they had 28 people and they knew that 14 of them had already been diagnosed with depression, 14 of them haven't. This sounds like a really morbid piece that I'm going into, but it's actually quite interesting. And, uh, and what they did was they used the GPS tracking to see how much people moved around and where they went and their behavior. And also they just used the on-off function of the screen to see how much time people were looking at their screen. And what they found was that they were able to predict with 87% accuracy who had depression and who didn't because the people that had depression, the movements were much more erratic. They didn't go to work at the same time and come back at the same time. It was just different every day. The people that didn't have depression were much more like regular and they had much mm -hmm. more of a pattern. Also, the people who had depression spent like 46 minutes a day rather than 17 minutes a day looking at the screen on their phone. Does um, that mean that Jesse is clinically depressed? No, because she's one of the most positive people that I've ever met in my she life. She spends a lot of time looking at her phone, though. I know, that's true. <laughs> Surely that also means that almost every single teenager on Earth is clinically depressed. Well, I mean, the, the, researchers, <laughs> the researchers were the first to point out that this is just a preliminary study and was not, you know, the basis for any making any conclusions. Yeah. But I just thought it was a really interesting idea, the fact that it can just pick up the data that's in your pocket and start yeah. telling you about your own... Yeah. 
uh, I guess it, behavior. It shows the, uh, away from the use of the phone. You think about the, uh, the thing I noticed there was the, the routine. Maybe the secret to a happy existence is, is having a fulfilling routine. Well, that's a really interesting point because the researchers who did the study, they, sort of, they, you know, they don't know whether these things are a symptom of depression or whether depression... It comes about as a result of this behavior. So yeah. is, it, is it like A causes B or B causes A? You know, and it could be either, but if, for example, people who are depressed are uh, moving around geographically very erratically, you know, maybe actually introducing bit of rhythm might help the depression but you know you, you don't know which one's causing which and I think but they, they hypothesize the same thing if you've ever kept animals the key to a happy dog a key to a happy cat is routine, bit of routine. it's routine isn't it is yeah. is um is that security of routine yeah right what have you been up to this week h-bomb oh uh not very much actually i surfed the the reef a few times with sam last week the big thing that's been very exciting was uh we managed to get the podcast was featured on the inertia and on surfers village the last episode where we interviewed derek for the uh the shark piece uh was run on those two sites so any new listeners welcome i hope you're enjoying the show i'm not sure how you felt about it but i was obviously stoked that we were featured on the inertia but given that the whole thrust of that last show was really getting home the message sharks are not these monsters yeah. that they've been made out to be there by movies friends. and the media. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're actually these amazing animals that need our protection not to be demonised by us. And then uh, the inertia chose to run it with an image taken from the like Jaws. It was the, jo- it was yeah. the Jaws original, poster. Yeah. yeah, it was the original Jaws poster. <laughs> yeah. And so then and then what they did was they attributed the whole article to me personally. So it looked as if I'd chosen the image. So anyway, I wrote to them and I was like, they Look. did change. They did change the cover image. Back. Oh, they've changed it now. Haven't yeah. They? They oh, have. well, that's good. Good on them. Do you think sharks will ever be free of the Jaws stigma? Ah. Uh. Well, but I don't. Do you reckon uh, the when Steven Spielberg goes in the sea, they're just like there he is. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> well, they had that stigma way before Jaws. You had loads of horror stories coming out of the boats on on World War Two, and and even going back to you know some of the the older seafaring stories. There are some pretty nasty stories about sharks. They were more. They were they were more afraid of whales before Jaws. I'm pretty sure, wasn't it? Well, no. I mean, they well, hunted. Did, the, yeah. They hunted maybe whales Dick. close in, so the whales did more to them. But I mean, the sharks used to follow the whaling boats because they'd be cutting the, the whale up and throwing the carcass in. I, I, I don't think sharks were. There's some really old paintings of people getting eaten by sharks. So I think they had a pretty, pretty nasty reputation before uh, before just, Jaws came up. But but probably Jaws was the one that brought it to the non-ocean-going public. Yeah, I think because there's a huge, you know, it, what was it? What was Jaws? 1970s? 70s, nineteen seventy-five. Yeah. Like there must have been a ton of people that really weren't, you know, didn't interact with the water in any way, shape, or form. Maybe even never seen the ocean, and then that was the don't go in the sea. <laughs> right. I mean, we have of the guests that come along and stay at Surf Simile. I would say probably one guest a month. We have like 40, 40 50 people come through a month. I'd say one person a month has an irrational fear of sharks i guess not not enough of a fear of sharks to stop them booking a week of surfing in costa rica yeah but it's definitely in something there, that's yeah. in their mind all the time yeah well, surfing the reef this week uh, i saw a whale oh wow yeah came through the line i've seen a humpback whale carving actually or that had with its calf that had uh, that i think reached... carving turn for yeah a doing like a real nice <laughs> <laughs> cutback it was uh no out the back here but that was a few years ago i haven't seen one for a while I think that shows you, showed you how deep it is off the reef because literally the, the uh, it, I don't know what you call it. It's breaching is when the t- is when they jump. So what's it called when the, just the back comes out? No, I think like, breaching is just when you see it when it breaks the surface. Okay, yeah. So yeah, it breached and yeah. uh, and so, and was silent. That was what was quite dramatic about it. It was totally silent. That's you cool. saw it, but you didn't hear it. Very cool. 
on to the news. We've got a few bits and pieces that happen. It hasn't been quite as uh, feature-filled as the the last couple of weeks, but the the one I wanted to open with, just because we touched on it last episode, uh, we spoke about Surf Snedonia and the video showing the first dribbly, horrible-looking waves that were being surfed. And then since the last episode came out, they've shown it running at 100%, and I think it looks pretty cool what do you guys think uh, yeah i think it looks really really fun actually mm. and uh and i noticed as well that they've pulled the last video if you look at yes. the, our show notes they've actually uh pulled the last video the one that we had up in the show notes of the uh, last episode yeah they, they were going around quite hard trying to pull it. it it had sort of viraled its way a little bit out it took me a while to find one just to put on the show notes i felt before that video came out that our trip up there in october was more like a sort of a slog that we were going to just have to do in the name of uh coaching research yeah because uh, you know we're, we're pretty keen on getting a surf city resort around a wave pool in the next few years yeah but after seeing that video I'm now genuinely quite excited to go yeah, and surf yeah I am you're going pretty soon aren't yeah, you Sam I'm there on a Sunday on oh Sunday. maybe you can do a phone in oh. correspondent report from the wave pool I'd, I'd be delighted to like you yeah I, yeah, I, I think it looks great. For those of you guys that haven't seen it, uh, we'll post it on the show notes, uh, surfsimply.com slash podcast. Uh, I'll post this, uh, the, the Surf Snowdonia promo video, which really does look quite fun. Anything catch you guys' eyes over the last couple of weeks? Well, I'd like to wish all the best to our friend uh, and surf photographer here, Graham Swindle, who had a, he's a really good surfer, 40 years old. Just coming down the line on his board, and uh, he just sort of kicked out of a wave, and his leash was caught around one of his fins underneath the board as he kicked the board out. So he kicked it ahead of him, and it immediately just snapped back, and the the nose of the board went right yeah. into his eyeball, and he's been in hospital for a week now. I think he's had three operations on it, but he looks like he's on the mend. So uh, yeah, if you're listening, Graham, uh, just uh, thinking of you, buddy. Hoping you get better soon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, get well. Definitely, that was a, a very nasty accident. So I really enjoyed reading Matt Arney's interview with Chris Malloy, which was on yeah. Surf Simply magazine. Matt Arney, actually another former Surf Simply coach, he now lives back in Europe and he uh, edits and writes most of the articles for Surf Simply magazine, which uh, you might want to check out, listeners, at surfsimply.com slash magazine. Anyway, he interviewed Chris Malloy this week. And Chris Malloy has, is one of the people that I grew up really idolizing. I guess just I'm of that age that, yeah. you know, he was a big part of Thicker Than Water and yep, Shelter yep. and all those moonshine conspiracy films and the Likes Woodshed Cold films. Water, which I respect for that. Yeah, and he's just a, a really cool character. And uh, so anyway, it's just really, really cool reading uh, reading Matt's interview with him. And he's, he's pretty funny. You get the impression sometimes seeing him in the media that he's kind of that soul guy where everything's quite serious. And I like yeah. that he was kind of messing around and joking in the interview quite a yeah. lot and his sense of humour really came across. Yeah. He made a comment about localism that I didn't totally agree with. You know, I mean, it, it kind of made sense on the surface. He said that he felt every lineup should have he just called it a flow to the lineup, you know, a way that it worked. And when people paddle out for the first time there, they should sort of take a few sessions to understand how things were done at that lineup and then fit into that way of doing things rather than just, you know, paddle over. And I, I totally agree with that. The only bit I don't agree with is I don't think that that has anything to do with localism. You know, you can not be from somewhere and you can paddle around in a very respectful way. And yeah. equally, you can be that, be from that place, a local and you can completely abuse everyone else who's in the water. So I, I do agree with him. I think that's important at lineups. I just don't think that that has to correlate with whether you're actually at a place. You know? I've known um, people to paddle out in the wave pool and hassle. 
the waves. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody has to sort of tap him on the shoulder and say, no, yeah, it doesn't work like this. You're paid to play. You just queue up. One thing I really liked that Chris Malloy said was uh, one of the questions Matt asked him was if you could go back to any time in history, when would you go back to? And he, and he made the comment that there is nothing... Uh, going backwards in time that he would rather be seeing than if he could go forwards in time and see the future which I kind yeah, of like because yeah. a good friend of mine said that one thing he really liked uh, about being around Surf Simile and I echo this is that there's a lot of people that are nostalgic about the future rather than yeah. being nostalgic about the past and and I really like that he came across like that as well it, you know someone who's really excited about what's to come I do think it's interesting from Chris Malloy though because he is someone who has taken himself off to go and ranch and farm True, and yeah. grow a big beard wear and plaid shirts, wear plaid shirts and do things the old school way. I like that uh, our friend Shelby wrote on her Facebook wall recently, if your boyfriend's wearing a plaid shirt and you lose him in a Patagonia store, good luck trying to find him. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> We've been mentioning it over the course of the last couple of episodes, the Red Direct filmmaking competition, I guess. Uh, I've noticed magazine. you've switched to the my pronunciation of it. I thought it was Red Direct. You were saying it was Redirect. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I was saying, yeah. So the the whole uh, Redirect <laughs> contest <laughs> consistency. Caps, so surely aren't you supposed to shout the first bit? Oh, yeah. The whole Red <laughs> Direct. <laughs> I think we might have just blown all the levels. <laughs> the whole Red Direct, Redirect contest has finished. Uh, there's some really, really cool videos that were made out there. But the, at the same time, there's been a lot of criticism that, you know, these guys were given very expensive cameras that could do some very, very cool things. And actually, of the 12 or 13 movies, there's a lot of them that are just very much bog-standard film a surfer going surfing sort of edits. Aaron Lieber won the contest. I, I mean, I enjoyed the output from it. Did you watch the winning video, the one with Noah Besh and either of you guys? Yeah. I, th- I thought it was uh, just, I thought it was beautiful, actually. And I thought that, you know, Noah Besh and Shane Beshan's son, and Shane Beshan, for our listeners who aren't aware, was a WCT surfer in the early 90s, mid 90s. Yeah, something like and that. And he was really outspoken in um, progressing the judging system so that it included aerial maneuvers. And he yeah. really tried to push it so that it wasn't just about length of ride, it was more about these one big explosive I think he got a lot maneuvers. of criticism for that as well because people, people felt he was sort of pushing it in to suit his surfing rather than for the the future of surfing well I think that I think that was true but I don't think it was a bad thing yeah, yeah you know I think but anyway his his son Noah watching him surf the quality of the footage aside I mean actually the footage is beautiful I mean how much more could have been done with it I'm not sure but uh, just watching the way Noah surfs he's 12 years old and it's just phenomenal I mean he's not he doesn't look like a sort of a an, a 360 air boosting wonder kid he looks like a rounded surfer yeah. even just watching he, his cutbacks on big solid waves he has four or five different cutback techniques drop wallet cutbacks laybacks snaps nine o'clock wraps roundhouses and his backhand tube riding in sort of small chopu that still would have had me pretty scared and he's riding through really small barrels without grabbing the rail just weaving the board up and down i mean it's really phenomenal Really phenomenal. I mean, going back to Chris Malloy's question about going back in time, if I could go back to being 12 and then try and surf like that, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? So just the final thing, and it, it's nothing major, but I thought it was an interesting follow-up to our shark... Co- well, two things, actually, that I thought were quite interesting follow-ups to the shark conversation. One was that someone out in Brazil actually got pretty badly hurt by a mackerel. 
Um, it sounds very funny to all, all three That's of us. Are, mackerel as well. well, I was about to say all three of us are laughing because in the UK, a mackerel is a very small fish. It gets to about six to eight inches long, and they come in big shoals. But uh, I think this was a uh, Southern Atlantic big. You know, it's a much yeah, bigger fish. It had some fish. pretty nasty-looking teeth on it, that thing. Yeah. So, uh, well, the little mackerel do as well. Actually, if you open their mouth up, they've got some pretty nasty little. Uh, uh, but yeah, the, the final thing that I saw was this article that Surfer put out, uh, sort of following up on all the all the hype about mix accident, which was uh, trying to work out what are the odds. You always hear that you're more likely to be struck by lightning than eaten by a shark, and what are the relative odds of that? I once went to a comedy show, a whole, um, they, they talked for about an hour all about the probability of various events, and uh, the, the, the humour was built around the, the ridiculousness of some of the ways you can die. Basically, it was all about death. And, and probability. One of the most surprising, highly likely things is you'll, you could get killed um, by radioactivity, much more likely than any kind of shark attack or anything like that. Um, bee stings are like, you would never want to go near a, a bee's yeah. nest uh, ever again after you, when you realise the probability of, of death from. Oh, super high, especially given the number of people that, that are allergic to it and going into anaphylactic shock just from one sting I I think it's really interesting because obviously newspapers report stuff that's unusual not stuff that happens every day and the ways of dying every day they're much more likely ways to kill you but you're never going to hear about them because they're not news because they're so common having a bath yeah I heard that I heard one of the most dangerous uh, things you can do Oh, what was it after after 9/11? There was a, about a year after 9/11 when America was in the midst of its kind of anti-Islam hysteria and uh, terrorism phobia, and uh, there, there was I can't remember where it was now, but there was a great website that came out with uh, ways to die, and one of them was like you were like a thousand times more likely to be killed by your own toilet than by a terror attack. <laughs> yeah, I can believe it. But yeah, the um, the article that Surfer did, so they, they ran just the standard stats, which would be uh, death by a shark is one in 3.7 million, more or less, uh, compared to one in 80,000 to be killed by lightning. And that, you know, very clearly, you are a lot more likely to be struck by lightning than you are by, uh, by a shark. But he then you might, you might always be struck by than struck by a shark, shark. <laughs> a really angry well, shark slapping you around yeah. the face with a white glove. Well, I believe it happens. Uh, but yeah. I think Mick Fanning got a got a blow to the face. Yeah, he, got, he, was, str- he was struck, struck by, by a shark. shark. That's true. <laughs> Come on. But yeah, it, he then does, sort of dives in and starts going down the line of quite a good quite a good article and sort of starts working out well how many uh, Americans actually are going to surf and how many uh, people are going to live anywhere near where they're likely to surf but he, he didn't go quite all the way well I mean he made the really good point that not all of not all Americans are in the ocean all the time like surfers are so that yeah. stat is misleading which is a fair point but then he sort of said at the end oh but I suppose not all Americans are hanging around places where they're likely to get struck by lightning either but I'm no statistician so you know whatever yeah. but you know actually he skated over that but it's a really good point and, and it kind of prompted me to look at the data a little bit closer Um, So I thought, okay, well, I don't know how many Americans are likely to be in places where they're likely to get struck by lightning, but pretty much all Americans go in cars, even if they're not driving them. So I thought that's probably a better thing to, you know, compare shark attacks to. And, you know, I alluded to it in in our conversation with Derek, although I hadn't actually really checked the figures out. So... 318.9 318.9 million people in the US and there's 37,000 traffic deaths a year. So that means that your chances of being killed in a car crash are one in eight and a half thousand, more or less. Right. Right. Um, there's around two million surfers in the US. There, there was one point 
5 million surfers back in, uh, sorry, 1.7 million surfers back in 2014. So I'm mm-hmm. rounding up to like 2 million now, assuming that there's it's grown. And I think that it's reasonable to add another sort of half a million non-surfing water users you know like people just swimming that kind of stuff yeah i mean i would i would think that's probably a higher figure in in a lot of you know florida's chart attack capital and that's because there's a lot of people wading around in the water right exactly so i'm really you know giving for the benefit of the doubt here so anyway working on the fact that there's two and a half million um people sort of out surfing and using the water every day and that there's one shark death a year you know that means that your chances of getting attacked by a shark as a surfer are about one in two and a half million whereas your chances of being killed in a car crash as a surfer are one in eight thousand so you're 290 times more likely to be killed in a car crash than you are from being attacked by a shark, even if you're a surfer. And I just think that that puts things a little bit back in perspective. I mean, I got all these figures off Wikipedia, so uh, I'm not claiming 100% scientific accuracy, but back of the napkin stuff, it's probably about right. I think in America as well, that um, there's actually more incidents of abduction by aliens um, than shark attacks. <laughs> I think That's we should probably just, true in the middle. For the sake of scientific accuracy, I think we should put the word alleged in. Yeah, yeah, as well. <laughs> um, on to a little bit of contest news then. We have had, while we've been away, the US Open of Surfing, which is normally the most boring contest ever to uh, <laughs> hold any kind of prestige. That's probably true. It's, uh, here's the thing, it's not that it's the world's most boring contest, but it's it has a huge amount of prestige. You know, that, that to win the US Open or, or that the US Open takes place because it takes place in Huntington, it's the centre of so much of the the surf scene. I don't know, I, it, it it's such a big thing to win the US Open and it's such a boring looking surf contest. A lot yeah. of cash too as well. Yeah, lo- yeah, it's one of the highest prize purse. You know, you see guys throwing themselves over the ledge at, at Fiji and Chopu, which are kind of the two events either side of it normally. And then they all go to Huntington Beach and slap their way into the inside section to do a little air reverse and they walk away with three times the amount of cash. Yeah, I've watched the last three US Opens and actually this one, I must confess, I was, you know, sandwiched between Fiji and Chopu, as you said, and Fiji... Well, and, and J-Bay, which was yeah. incredible. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, comparing that to watching the US Open, I, I have to confess, I just chose to actually go surfing myself this time. Yeah, and, and this is, you know, that that's for the men. It's a 10,000 event. Like, this is one of the events that's going to decide who's on the World Tour next year. And for the women, it it is a World Tour event. Like, this is deciding who the world champion is. Well, speaking of which, I was really stoked to see Joanne Defay win it. Yeah, I was. But yeah, I thought it was really cool. It's been really great watching her battle away on tour and just to see her get a victory under her belt was fantastic. Well, particularly she's still not got a sponsor, does she? She's still running. Uh, Jeremy Flores is paying all her bills. Oh, I didn't know that. That's still happening. Yeah. I can't believe that she hasn't got a big Jeremy Flores doing the smiley face and double thumbs up like Steve-O style tattoo on the bottom <laughs> of her board. She should uh, definitely get that. And then did you guys see the, the, the men's event? The winner who, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Hiroto Ohara from Japan. Did you see his winning speech? I didn't. Oh, it's epic. Because he, yeah. he won, I think he got like 100 grand. Yeah, I think it was 100 grand, wasn't it? For winning it. it. And yeah. they said, so what are you going to do now? And he said... I'm going to go get my driving license and buy a lot of cars. That's awesome. Interesting that he's going to buy a lot of cheap cars rather than one very expensive car, which is what I would probably do. 
No, I'd go and buy like a whole load of like wrecked American muscle cars. It'd be epic. <laughs> just drive them into the ground. Yeah, that, actually, that would be pretty fun. Head out onto the salt flats of Utah with your buddies. Yeah. Anyway, far more exciting than the US Open. Uh, the next event that is starting in two or three days is the Tahiti event. We've got Chopu coming up. I'm super excited about it. This is your favourite event, isn't it? Oh, it's always, it's always ex- even when the waves aren't that good, it's mm-hmm. still one of the best events to watch, I think. Yeah. So um, who's, who are you watching this year? Well, actually, do you know Shia Lopez did a really cool article uh, for Surfer Mag where he talked about some of his fantasy surfer picks for Chopu. The two or the two or three that I really agree with from what Shia said is uh, Owen Wright, obviously, after yeah. his performance in Fiji. Mark and River as well, at the box. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he's always done well at Chopu, actually. Um, and yeah, so I, I'd be really watching him. You can never rule out Slater, of course, although he's, you know, obviously not having a great year on tour. But he does, if he's going to perform well, it's going to be in, in Chopu, you know, yeah. or Pipe or Crowd Break, these kind of big left-handers. You know, we were talking about this in the last podcast. He hasn't really won an event on turns in a really long time. He's it really, and now it's all about the barrels. Michelle Berez, you know, mm-hmm. it's his local break there. And, uh, and of course, John John Florence. You can't really talk about anything that's a big barrel without talking about John John. So I don't know those are the people that I really want to see. It's Ross Williams does the uh, uh, the yes, picks yeah. for the WSL, and what I quite like about theirs is they have who to pick and who not to pick. And I think that's like that's got to be quite a big thing because Ross Williams is sort of the he's the tech guy, isn't he? As far as the technical analysis guy yeah. on the on the surfing, he's one of my favourite commentators on the commentary team for the WSL at the moment. Actually, yeah, well, Ross I mean he's he's the guy that actually does know that you know he's looking at the snap and he understands the technique that's going on he's able to break it down that must be an awkward moment when uh, Ross Williams has put you on his who not to pick team exactly and then he walks past Felipe Toledo in the you know out in Chopu just up by the supermarket like morning Felipe yeah Felipe Toledo uh, (laughs) Keanu Singh that was just a guess has he got Felipe Toledo on his list of who not to pick yeah Felipe Toledo in (laughs) tier A for the tier B it's Keanu Singh and for Glenn Hall there's a new video actually that we'll post in the what to watch section which is drone footage of Chopu from a few weeks ago when of course they had that huge swell come in and one of the cool things about seeing drone footage is, is you get a much better sense of how it how the wave sits next to the reef and you know I've yeah. chatted about this on the podcast before but you can often mistakenly think that you're surfing out into a channel whereas you're not you're sneaking out in a little gap between two big closeout sections of the wave basically yeah and if you keep going in a straight line when you come out of that barrel you're going to go right into the right that's coming at you and i think a lot of the time when people are watching it they don't, you don't realize that. that so if yeah listeners if you go to go to the um, show notes and you watch the drone footage of giant chopu you can really see what's happening when you're coming out of the barrel and just how intimidating that place is and was it last year's contest where quite a lot of the pros were getting washed over the reef into the lagoon yeah, yeah. Kelly, Kelly, Kelly got himself pinned Kelly. to the uh, reef by the jet ski didn't he yeah yeah. I, well I mean pretty much all of them unless they actually exited the barrel and, and then got spat out and then came off the back of the wave you know, they pretty much always had to go all the way in round the lagoon, back out. It's about, it's probably like a kilometre all the way around, yeah. you know, with the jet ski back out to the lineup again. Um, just to wrap up with the contest results then, the Fantasy Surfer. Who's winning in the Surf Simply Podcast that, yes, League? Quite, that's who we, that's that's what we, we want really to know. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, oh I see. Oh, so in the, it's in, not me then. <laughs> in, in, the, in, the Surf Simply, in the Surf Simply Podcast for the women's event at the US Open, uh, Julio. 
uh, or Julio, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it, won the event for the US Open, but Corin is still winning overall in the women's. For the men's, we never quite wrapped up J-Bay, but Austin, uh, you won the J-Bay event within the club, and uh, Paul's claiming it team. Uh, you're still winning overall as we go into Tahiti. So get your teams lined up. Uh, Tahiti starts in a couple of days. Have we decided what we're going to have for an end-of-year prize for the winner of Fantasy Surfer? We haven't yet. But given that we have a clothing line coming out shortly after pipe finishes, that would seem like we could do a nice time. Yeah, it would. Listeners, we don't know what it is yet, but it is going to blow your minds. Lower your expectations, listeners. Lower those expectations. (laughs) You're listening to the Surf Simply Podcast. So I wanted to talk a little bit this week about how you can stay in shape when you're not surfing. Uh, I haven't been able to surf, as I mentioned, for the last couple of weeks, just because I've had some lower back issues, which I could have avoided if I took better care of myself. Uh, I've just been a bit lazy with the thing, doing the things that I know that I should have been doing. Um, but, uh, but also, you know, a lot of you listeners and a lot of the people that come and stay with us at Surf simply don't live by the ocean or at least can't surf every day. And uh, surfing is a pretty physically demanding sport, so staying in shape is pretty important, obviously. Yeah, I think one of the, I mean, it's probably one of the things I'm asked most often is, you know, what what can I do to get in shape? You know, I think particularly a lot of people are surprised, you know, when they turn up and they haven't really done any surfing and we start paddling them out at how physical it is. I think a lot of people expect that, that, oh, it's only, you know, a 50, 100 yard swim, no problem. Yeah, and I'm surfing now into my 40s and, um, I think um, you know it's essential. If I feel like I let my fitness drop, then then uh, I'll feel like my surfing will deteriorate really. Because to, so to keep yeah to keep the wave count, to keep enjoying my surfing, being fit is a, is a really big part of it. Yeah, and I mean one of the things I always say to people is that surfing is a really fun way to stay fit in and of itself. But as I say, if you can't do it every day, you want to get something else in there, and you want to just make it a regular part of your life. It's fitness a little bit is like diet. There's no point in having the best fitness regime or the best diet in the world if you don't maintain it. So it's got to be something not so ambitious that you don't just keep it going and keep it part of your regular yeah. daily life. Uh, and actually, and this is just slightly tying into what I was talking about earlier about depression, but one of the best cures for depression is regular daily exercise. Just a yeah. really kind of simple thing. If you're interested, actually, two of the other best cures for depression are to have a near-death experience and to do a lot of charity work. Uh, anyway, it's so going back to the, the having a fitness regime that's daily and that you can maintain. Obviously, swimming is a really, really important part of surfing. Like Harry said, you know, surfing is 99% paddling in the same way that soccer is 99% running around the, the field and tennis is 90% running around. Swimming isn't super fun for everyone. I used to hate swimming, actually. I used to have to do it just Mm -hmm. every time I was redoing my lifeguard training award. I'd go and just train just to do the time for the swim, and then I would just not do it anymore. And actually, after doing that award seven or nine times, or however many I've done it, uh, I do actually enjoy swimming now. And when I'm not in the ocean, I go in the pool every day. But having really ambitious, oh, I'm going to go and swim five or ten kilometers a day, for most people, isn't going to really work. So yeah. if, you, if you're not a regular swimmer, if you're not a swimmer at all, and you haven't really swum since you're at school, and you're listening to this, this is how I would advise approaching swimming. If you can get yourself so that you're doing 16 lengths of a 25-meter pool in sort of under 10 minutes, trying to mm-hmm. push it down to like seven yeah, minutes as your good. goal then that's that's pretty good and and that's quite good because it's about a half hour commitment you know you go into the pool 10 minutes to get changed 10 minutes in the pool 10 minutes uh to get changed afterwards and then you're out 
Yeah. And like half an hour a day really isn't a big time commitment. That's way better than, than going in and I'm going to be there for two hours, two and a half hours. And you do it three days and then, you know, just other commitments, family and work get in the way. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a really good balance. Swimming obviously is great. There's a lot of paddle machines out there which simulate the motion of paddling. But what they don't do is simulate the resistance of your hand moving through liquid, moving through water. Most of the paddle simulators involve holding onto a handle and pulling it back. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, there's a lot of little fast twitch muscles that you have to adjust as your hand pulls through water. So swimming is very good for that. Having said that, there are some key differences to paddling and swimming. The most significant one being that when you're swimming, you want to keep your body fairly straight. Whereas when you're paddling, that's not nearly so much of an issue, especially if you're paddling a longer board where you're actually wanting to really twist your body side yeah. to side to help power the paddles. So, you know, what's even better than swimming is if you can, even if you feel a bit silly, get out on a lake, get out on a flat body of water near where you are and just go out and paddle. I, I, yeah. Quite a lot of people who've stayed at Surf yep. Simply who live near flat bodies of water send me photos of them head to toe in five mil of neoprene just paddling out on the lakes. You yeah, know, as long as board. there's no uh, gators in there, I guess. Yeah, or mackerel or spearfish. <laughs> or or chance of being struck by lightning. Or, or yeah, anything like that. Another thing you really want to think about, especially you know when you get to your 30s, 40s, is your flexibility which is huge. True, true, yeah. The, the two biggest problems that we see uh, with guys of a certain age is the flexibility. Yeah. And with women, as they get older, it's upper body strength. Yeah. So, you know, if you're a guy, you really want to focus on, on that flexibility. And the, the couple of areas that we see that are probably the most problematic is all down the backs of uh, your legs, your Achilles tendons, your hamstrings. Yeah. So if you look up downward dog, which is a yoga pose, that's really good for stretching all of that out. Anything which is going to stretch your hamstrings your Achilles tendons is going to make it much easier to bring your foot front foot up in between your hands when you're coming up to your feet so that's would, super helpful I would say hips as well in in a lot of the older guys that we we teach the the sort of hip and lower back combination just just limited flexibility there so yeah that rotation was the other thing I was going to mention yeah. uh, and actually again there's there's quite a few stretches that you can do uh, you can look them up online rotational stretches a few yoga poses where you're basically bringing your knee across your body mm -hmm. and then bringing your opposite hand around the other way do be careful whenever you're doing any kind of rotational stretches anything with the spine don't push it it's about just doing little and often not about trying to go crazy um Whenever you do any, anything rotational on the spine, particularly on the neck, it's really important to do equal and opposites. So don't just do it in one way, which is why if you're practicing doing a lot of pop-ups, you should actually practice doing them both ways, not mm -hmm. just the way that you come up to your feet on the board. Um, it's also interesting to know, and I didn't know this actually until fairly recently when I, I did a little more research on it, that you don't want to be as flexible as possible. There's actually a bell curve when you look at flexibility against yes. injury. So, you know, what you see is when you've got low flexibility, you get a lot of injuries. But also when you're extremely flexible, when you see the yeah. sort of contortionist levels of yeah. flexibility. You lose strength as well, I believe, as well. Yeah, much more prone to, uh, to injury as well, which is quite a common thing that happens to people who do too much yoga. So just getting, getting that balance right. One thing that we used to do when I was training the British team, which I thought was really cool, was we would measure all of the stretches. So, you know, the classic one is you would have, you'd sit on the floor with your legs straight, you'd try and reach past your toes and we'd have an upside down shoebox with just inches drawn on it. And you'd mm -hmm. see how many inches past my toes 
uh, can I get my fingers? And then, you know, as you're just doing your daily stretches every day, you kind of see that number increase and you can chart it. And it's it's really nice actually seeing a measured increase in your flexibility. Yeah. It's kind of cool because it's not something that you really notice otherwise. Although so I suppose that does lead to the danger of going further and further to where you're becoming too That's flexible. true. That is something that you want to be careful Competitive of. Competitive yoga. Yeah. And, and actually, it's worth saying that at Surf Simply, we've been moving away more and more. We, we have yoga as part of our week here. And we've been slowly moving away from what most people would think of as yoga and and we've been toying with the idea of actually changing the name of what we do and just call it conditioning because there's a lot of yoga Mm -hmm. that actually is not particularly good for you and there are health risks and just going and doing yoga as hard as you can is not necessarily very good for you or very good for your surfing but uh, maybe we should do another episode on that yeah for women upper body strength is really huge And just, it doesn't sound very fun, but just doing push-ups, you know, just so you've got that ability to lift your upper body up is going to be super useful. I thought it was really cool actually watching Parco and Sally Fitzgibbons in there run up to heats at various events where they're just doing pop-ups. Sally Fitzgibbons has this great one where she pops up to her feet and then she has to turn and catch a football that's thrown at her, throw it back, you know, and then do the same thing from the other side and throw it back really really good warm-ups i think one common mistake is that a lot of surfers think i don't need to practice pop-ups once i can stand yeah i i mean i was going to uh, bring this up as a, a what to watch at the end of the episode but did you guys see the training video that nat young and nike put out no i didn't nike, see that. nike watch it i mean just to, to see the level it, it's done very well there's no like music there's no nothing flashy Nat Young talking pretty openly and honestly about you know why he trains, how he trains, and the the effects that he's felt. It's it's a really short little video, but it's really really good. It's really worth a watch and um, incredible to see like the level of preparation that those guys are putting in. I got the uh, Taylor Knox routine, but there's very Swiss ball focused, and uh, so uh, that has, that was a challenge in itself to try and work it through. Um, you know, using the Swiss ball. So I've always been more uh, advocate of um, swimming and yoga. That's always been what's worked for me. Taylor Knox's video, it's just called Surf Exercises, isn't it? That's right, Surf and, Fit, I think, yeah. Yeah, and it came out quite a while ago, oh, four saw, or yeah, five years yeah. ago. And, and actually, I think it's really good, but it is quite specifically aimed at level four surfers. Yeah. It's specifically right. aimed at surfers that whose main physical limitation on waves is the power that they're putting into a lot of their manoeuvres. I think it seemed to me like a lot of the exercises were focused around that, which actually probably is a minority of surfers, I think. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but that, it did actually remind me, I just the, the last two things I was going to mention here, one of them, which is, again, only really for those kind of level four surfers that I think is important, is uh, doing a lot of mountain biking, just riding a bike, building up your quads and your leg muscles. You, when you get to the stage where the limiting factor in the turns that you can perform isn't your timing or technique but is the strength in your legs then biking is really important for that but as i say that's probably more for level four surfers all those going to peru on on the uh, (laughs) jacama trip because that's a long long way i mean and actually just generally like just the cardiovascular fitness i i I hate running like i my legs hurt afterwards but i can i can cycle i'm pretty comfortable going cycling and i just think from a cardiovascular basis it's probably pretty good like yeah. there's a lot of people that, that we have who are they're just hitting the point where they're panting and exhausted i think that with running as well you've got all of the impact yeah. problems yeah. Like, you know, knee injuries and whatnot associated with that that you don't have with uh, riding a bike yeah this isn't so much to do with uh, fitness but just getting on a, a skateboard mm-hmm. and just cruising oh, along huge fan. Huge it's fan. just so i mean the difference that we see in the performance of 
uh, entry level to intermediate surfers just because they have spent a lot of time just cruising around on a longboard is just fantastic. Couple of important things to mention here. Number one, making sure that your back knee is dropped in towards your front knee. Your your back knee dropped right in so that your knees are sort of coming together as you crouch down and that you're bending at the knees, not not those knees going apart and bending over at the waist. The other thing is, of course, trying to keep your leading hand outside your heel rail. Again, it's a classic thing that people get wrong when they're surfing, and we've got so many other things we're trying to coach them on that the people usually forget that as soon as they're thinking about something else. If you've already got used to standing in that stance just by cruising along in a no-pressure situation on a carver skateboard, then when you get out in the water and we're coaching you, we can focus on other stuff that's going to have a much bigger payoff that you can't practice when you're not in the sea. Yeah. The only thing I would say is look after your wrists yeah. because when you come off a skateboard, you'll land on yeah. your hand pretty hard. And uh, yeah, if, if you, you, that's the most common injury. And unfortunately we have had one or two people a year who have had to cancel their stay with us quite short notice because they came off a skateboard and landed hard on their wrist so you can buy wrist guards just like you do yeah. for snowboarding that look after your wrists if you fall on your hands so yeah. i really would recommending them and of course you know it would be remiss not to mention helmets knee pads elbow pads yeah, and all of that stuff for sure don't for worry sure. about looking stupid <laughs> no that's that i mean that's the big change that i've made the last couple of years you know I, I, I used to roll around with nothing you know just just shorts and t-shirt and now i have wrist guards elbow pads knee pads helmet everything um I, w I would actually add carver skateboards uh just personally i've found using one of those hugely hugely useful because it t it's the the one land drill that i've found that really helps replicate that that rail to rail motion yeah. that is so important to generating s forward speed on a surfboard yeah, and the speed the, pumps massive on the carver isn't it yeah and, and you know the, the, activated they've got a fairly unique front truck setup and it, it means that you can go from rail to rail and you can actually start to pump up a shallow hill and it, the board will carve around and turn a lot more similar to a, a, a surf than a lot of other skateboards and i i, I they're a little bit more expensive but I, i've had so much fun out of mine and it, it's done so much for so many people that i know yeah i'm a big fan in abu dhabi we have it's flat flat as a pancake so mm -hmm. The short um, carving skateboards work really well. You can, I can go for like blocks, kilom you know, kilometers without ever putting my foot down through use of the, uh, the same technique that I would use to gain speed on a, on a surfboard. Yeah. Um, and I find it really useful for small wave surfing. You know, my, my surfing's got a lot faster. My, my carving turns have improved. Um, the, particularly the roundhouse cutback, it's really useful for, for body positioning on, on that. Um, and I've actually got a couple of different lengths um, boards now for for different um you have, a, you have a quiver of covers yes i have so, so you sort of look out the window and you look how steep the road is looking <laughs> yeah, that day. <laughs> <laughs> so finally just thinking about your back which is of course the reason that i've been out of the water uh this last week and also actually for a couple of weeks last year now i will first say that this is due to laziness on my part and not looking after my back properly and not doing the things that i'm about to tell you guys you should be doing Prevention is better than cure with all of these things and stretching your back properly, warming up properly are both really important things to do. If you're living somewhere like Costa Rica, then warming up isn't so important because warming up literally means just that, actually warming the temperature of your muscles up so that when you go in the water that you're less likely to injure them. If you're living in uh, a colder climate, it's really important that you spend 10 minutes on the beach raising your body temperature not just doing static stretches but actually 
doing dynamic stretching where you're constantly moving, you should have just a little bit of a sweat going before you then get in the water and start paddling out. If you feel that telltale lower back pain, then first of all, you can know you're in very good company. Uh, we're all slightly predisposed to get that. Uh, it's kind of a hang-up from when we used to be quadrupeds before we became bipedal. So it's kind of a hang-up of evolution. Actually, just the same as the fact that your sinuses don't drain when you're standing up, they drain when you bend over. Before you start thinking about how to treat lower back pain, you need to diagnose it. It could be muscular, it could be skeletal, it could be to do with your nerves, and you really need to go and see a doctor to get them to diagnose which one of those things it is so that you know how to treat it. When I say go to a doctor, and this is just something that I wanna make really clear, a lot of people think that a chiropractor is a back doctor. A chiropractor is not a back doctor. Chiropractic was invented by D.D. Palmer back in 1895. Uh, he adjusted the spine of a deaf man and allegedly restored his hearing, which is extremely implausible uh, based on what we know about anatomy today. Um, based on this one case, Palmer decided that all disease was due to subluxations, which are uh, partial dislocations of your bones. So the rationale behind chiropractic hinges on three things. One, that your bones are out of place. Two, that bone displacement interferes with nerve signals and three that manipulating the spine replaces the bones and therefore allows nerve signals to operate again which of course restores health. Uh, now none of these three claims are credible given what we now know today. Chiropractic is basically pre-scientific and chiropractic subluxations don't show up on x-rays. Normal, regular subluxations that actually do exist do show up on x-rays, but chiropractic ones don't. With pretty damning evidence showing that uh, these subluxations didn't exist, chiropractic was forced to change its definition um, of a subluxation. So it didn't say that it was a partial dislocation, which is its medical meaning. It now says that it's, uh, I'm going to quote this sentence, uh, a complex of functional and or structural and or pathological articular changes that comprise neural integrity and may influence organ system and general health. Now, if that sounds like a wordy sentence, which is designed specifically to not allow you to pin down exactly what it means, then you're absolutely right. That's exactly what that sentence is. Chiropractors are now divided into straights and mixes. There's various different types. Some mostly do physical therapy with very little spinal adjustment. Others uh, really adhere to the original meaning of the word chiropractic and they throw a lot of quackery in with their treatments like uh, applied kinesthesiology and stuff like that. If you want to know more about chiropractic, um, a really good website to go to is sciencebasedmedicine.org. It's actually a really good website for anything um, medical-based that you want to just separate fact from fiction uh, when you're reading stuff online. I could do a whole episode on chiropractic. I think it's really interesting, the whole uh, confusion of correlation and causation among patients and practitioners, the confusion of anecdotal evidence with clinical evidence, and the whole psychology of how if you go for a treatment and the treatment is a, and you get better, you automatically credit the, the treatment. And if you don't get better, you go back for more of the treatment until eventually you do get better and then the treatment still gets the credit. I think that whole process is fascinating. But suffice to say, it falls into the realm of complementary and alternative medicine along with acupuncture, homeopathy, Reiki healing. It does not fall into the realm of science-based medicine. Having said that, 
many chiropractors also practice physical therapy, which can be extremely helpful. There are various political reasons why a physical therapist would want to call themselves a chiropractic uh, practitioner that's mostly to do with licensing regulations in the US, which again, I won't go into right now. But I'm certainly not saying that all chiropractors, everything they do is bad. Um, but just be aware, chiropractic is not a scientific term. It does not mean that someone's a doctor. And in my opinion, it's a little bit of a red flag. The really important take home from this little chiropractic spiel is do not let anyone, whether a chiropractor or not, click your spine. Do those violent movements where they yank your neck or your back around and it cracks. There is no um, evidence that that, or, or plausible mechanism that, that that could do anything good for you. And actually the risks are quite significant. Um, you can get a stroke 24, 72 hours later. Um, and there's several recorded cases of that. So just never let anyone do that to your back. If you're in the situation where you do have lower back pain and you are not able to find a doctor who can diagnose it because, you know, medical doctors aren't perfect and they can't sometimes. Or if you've just not been to see a doctor yet, uh, but it's causing you problems. You do have to be a little bit careful what you do to try and alleviate the back pain. For example, if you've got inflammation of the muscles and then you have a very deep tissue massage, that's actually going to make it worse. It's just going to inflame the muscles even more. There are some stretches which are going to be really good if it's skeletal, but not if it's nerve damage or muscular and vice versa. There are, however, two stretches which are not going to do any serious damage and they might help a lot. Uh, I'm going to try and just describe them for you. One is if you're on your hands and knees, you're on all fours as if you're lying over a box, and then you arch your back like a cat when it's angry, take a breath, and then do the opposite so you arch your back inwards. So you're sort of sticking your head up in the air and your bum up in the air and looking up at the ceiling. Again, another deep breath, and just repeat that back and forth. That's going to... That's gonna, at worst do nothing and may significantly help uh, and it's a good uh, preventative stretch to do as well uh, the second one is you lie on your back uh, with your palms flat on the floor bend your legs to about 90 degrees so your feet are flat on the floor and your head is flat on the floor and your back and your arms are but your knees are sticking up and then you're gonna lift your pelvis off the floor, pushing it up towards the ceiling so that your weight is on the flats of your feet, the flats of your hands and on your shoulders. So you're sort of doing a pelvic thrust towards the ceiling. And again, just doing that really slowly, lifting up your pelvis, breathing out, dropping down again. Repetitions of those two stretches are going to be a good preventative of lower back pain and they will make it feel, they may make it feel better depending on what the cause is, but they definitely won't do any damage. So swim, paddle, stretch and skateboard. Mountain bike if you want to do cutbacks like Michelle Berez and be a little bit wary of chiropractors. Okay, going into the superhero of surf and I just actually want to ask you guys a quick question. Do you guys remember your first surfboard? I had a 6-1 yes. that I bought in on a trip to Australia and it, and it had full deck grip like yeah. all the way down the deck. And I think I had a town and country like the yin and yang logo. Oh, nice! On nice. it, yeah. I had a, I, had a um, I bought a surfboard from uh, Sydney again. A trip to Australia. It was Jackson surfboard, and it had like a, a black nose for the top twelfth, and then green stripes and hatching. That sounds like Harry's spray jobs that he does now. Yeah, yeah. It sounds quite familiar. It was, a, it was a lovely board. It got stolen, unfortunately, on mm, the on the uh, Gold Coast. Yeah. Well, anyway, 
the reason I bring that up, I remember my first board. I actually still have it. It was sold to me by a guy that worked with my mum. And it was, uh, I think it was 62 by 18 company called Surf Toy. And there was a big signature on it, which is a guy called Peter Daniels. And uh, very sadly, earlier this week, I saw in the news that Peter Daniels died. And so I thought it would be a timely superhero of surf segment. Are we going to put the photo of you when you're about 12 with that surfboard under your yeah, arm I in did, the show note? I did find that. So yeah, we found a photo of me and my sister uh, in France. Uh, I must have been about 14 or 15 with this board under my arm. And it's Harry's sister, Emily, who does the intro and uh, you're listening to the Surf Simply podcast bit. So anyway, uh, Peter Daniels was born in Durban, South Africa in 1949. Started surfing as a teenager and became a, a real sort of standout surfer he is very very good at jay bay uh, 1976 he was the first south african ever to get a cover photo on a, an american surf magazine he started shaping surfboards really south africa back then was was pretty isolated and there was no other way he was going to get a surfboard so he started shaping for himself and got himself a really really big uh, reputation he shaped under his own label surf toy in south africa he he shaped for for a long time and then since 1993 he's been one of the big names at pukas in northern spain the uh, pukas shaped for gabriel medina when he won his world title last year he was riding pukas boards. he was riding pukas board so pukas is a, a a funny company it's a conglomerate of different shapers so they all come in under their own label but then with the pukas label over all of that and that's and they're based in the basque country basque country in spain a yeah. lot of um european american labels lost and channel Islands all come out of the Pucas factory so yeah that there's then yeah when a lot of the american and, and australian as well actually uh shapers want to do a batch of boards in europe they very often use the Pucas factory so he's been there he ended up shaping for jeff hackman uh, martin potter tom curran kelly slater sonny garcia adriana de souza geordie smith Worked a lot with Kelly Slater, playing around with funny bottom contours, channel bottoms, things like that. Developed a, a, a really interesting line of boards. Though in recent years, he's had, had a really close relationship with Kepper Acaro. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. Kepper Acaro or Acero. But he, yeah. yeah, he's he's one of three brothers and he does those cool movies yes. where he travels around and he shoots everything himself. Yeah. There was, there's this great that one from Chile where he left it on the rocks. Yeah, he left it on the rocks. Yeah, the, yeah, there's GoPro footage of him coming out these amazing barrels and then the little, the camera that's tracking him from the beach. Yeah, he's a really cool guy. Yeah, really cool guy. So Peter Daniels, really, really very talented shaper. A lot of people uh, really enjoyed riding his boards. Very, very sad to hear him go. He was very well known for having pictures of curvy naked ladies all around his shaping room <laughs> as inspiration for his shaping. The quote was, um, besides having harmony and balance at every curve, a surfboard has to be sexy. With this premise, surfboards with the latest trends, higher volumes and generous outlines still remain subtle, refined and hypersensitive. Maybe that's where Mayerhofen got his inspiration from. Which uh, woman has a figure like that Mayerhofen board? <laughs> Uh, my auntie Bo, <laughs> who I'm pretty sure doesn't listen to the podcast, I'll say. So yeah, very sadly, Peter Daniels died last week, age 66, in northern Spain. And I think he will be very much missed by a lot of the surfing community. So what to watch this week? Usually we just have some films that are, or some YouTube and Vimeo type short films to watch. But there's just one thing I wanted to add in here. There was a book that came out not very long ago 
called Barbarian Days, A mm-hmm. Surfing Life by William Finnegan. Have you guys uh, heard about this? I have, yes. It's on my little list of books to read on my Kindle. There was a series of articles in the New Yorker back in the summer of 1992 called Playing Doc's Games that were written by William Finnegan. And they were really excellent pieces because... Up until that point, and actually largely since that point, a lot of writing about surfing had either been done by authors with no real understanding of the mechanics of surfing and what was going on, or it was written by surfers who basically didn't really know how to write. And anyway, so William Finnegan was one of the first people to put those sort of two things together, and he had this kind of wry, witty humour about him as well. And I, anyway, long story short, he all of the notes and memos that he used to write yeah. those articles have now been released in a book called Barbarian Days, oh, cool. which uh, I've just downloaded off Audible to listen to. So all of you snobs out there can go and read it. I'm going to listen to it. And uh, yeah, I, I thought I might do a review of that in a future episode because there is a lot of nonsense surf books that come out. Uh, anyone who's read Tapping Huntington the Source. Beach and all that. <laughs> well, I quite liked that, didn't it? I mean, Dogs of Winter was much better. Well, Dogs of Winter was more about the surfing. Tapping, tapping the source. Tapping was the source was like weedy kid from not near the ocean goes to the ocean and he gets all buff and he gets laid and he gets a suntan and gets some muscles, but well, then I he falls in with a bad crowd who yeah. do cocaine. But then it all turns out they worship the devil. But then he runs away from them and that's fine. And then he nice finds a nice balance. I don't Sounds know. like uh, Tom Carroll's autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Maybe it's actually a really insightful portrait of your average surfer from the 1980s. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, so that's that's a book I'm going to be enjoying over the next few days. Yeah, I guess the big what to watch is going to be the uh, Robbie Madison. Wow. Yeah. That's doing very, very ridiculous, uh, riding a motorbike uh, over a Tahitian reef break. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just it looks ridiculous. We were talking about Jamie O'Brien setting himself on fire in the barrel at Chopu and, yeah. uh, you know, some of the crazy wipeouts that were happening. But yeah, if you haven't seen it, listeners, well, obviously we'll put the video up in the show notes, but he's got a scramble bike and he's basically he's put a, a couple of little planes on it hasn't yeah it? just he's he's replaced the back tire with some some planes so that it's powering it forwards and he takes it out and whizzes it around on the lagoon off tahiti there and then on a pretty solid day at chopu he kind of i was going to say he doesn't really throw himself over the ledge it's more like he's just riding along in front of the wave and like he kind a of windsurfer kind of approach isn't it yeah he's mm-hmm. kind of like it's, it's as if you were riding a jet ski really close to where the lip is yeah, it's yeah. kind of what he's doing but it just looks so bizarre yeah. it's pretty cool actually very, very weird, isn't it? Um, and then you mentioned the, the drone footage of Chopu earlier, but I, I mean, that it, it's very beautiful. Yeah, it's, uh, that's definitely worth checking out. And also, uh, my favourite surf filmmaker, Morgan Mason, who, again, we interviewed actually for Surf Simply magazine. So uh, that was a really cool interview, if you want to uh, check that out. And he's just released a new video is called motion mm-hmm. and some of it's uh, surfing and some of it's just some beautiful imagery that he's picked up on his travels but it's yeah. only about five or six minutes long but uh, again it's just if you want to just uh, procrastinate for a while if you've got a lot to do and be left with a feeling of beauty rather than a feeling of guilt at having procrastinated and not done your work watch motion by morgan mason we'll put it in the show notes all right well i mean i think that's pretty much us you had a little quote for us Ru? Yeah, so our quote of the week comes from Barbarian Days, uh, A Surfing Life by William Finnegan. Surfing is a secret garden not easily entered. My memory of learning a spot, of coming to know and understand a wave, is usually inseparable from the friend with whom I tried to climb its walls. Very nice. We'll leave you with that thought, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please do join us again next time. But for now, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply coaching resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com. Thank you.